listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are getting closer, aren't we? For those of you who have been waiting for us to bust out the Christmas carols, maybe waiting patiently, maybe not, we're just about there. You even get a glimpse of the Christ child at the end of this evening's gospel reading. Not Luke's grand story, the one that we'll read here on Christmas Eve, but rather this more understated narrative from the gospel according to Matthew. Now, starting with the story of the Annunciation, Luke pretty consistently trains his camera on Mary, whereas here in this story, Matthew wants to bring Joseph more into view. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, Matthew begins, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now, press the pause button there for a minute. Because Joseph is a righteous man, Matthew says, he planned to dismiss her quietly, but that word dismiss is still very much there. For all that Mary might insist that this pregnancy had come through the Holy Spirit, Joseph doesn't buy it. She's clearly slept with someone else. The betrothal is null and void. He's going to get on with his life, but he's going to do it in a way that doesn't shame her. Last Sunday, when we dealt with the story of the Annunciation, I drew on a poem by Killian MacDonald, to unpack the story of Mary and the news she receives. Well, in that same collection of poetry, Aggressive Mercy, the monk-priest Killian MacDonald explores tonight's gospel story. It's in a poem called Infidelity. You can't be serious, Mary. Me believe this staggering impossibility. I'm not a fool an angel and the Holy Spirit. Like saying the full moon planted seed in your womb while you were trimming lamps, you trembled knowing that I don't believe it. Well, you can be sure I'll not expose you, but you must see I cannot bring you into my home. I weep to say it, but I'll not be coming by. Father Killian imagines anger in Joseph's reaction to this news that his betrothed is pregnant. But deeper than anger, there's hurt, the sense of betrayal, the loss of a kind of an innocent hopefulness. You can be sure I'll not expose you, but I weep. I can't bring you into my home. Of course he can't. Matthew is insistent. Joseph is a righteous man, and he's not going to shame her publicly, but will instead swallow his pride, set aside his hurt, and just quietly end it. 
But you know, that's really just a stopgap measure. For Mary is still pregnant out of wedlock. In a world where that was beyond shameful, it was the mark of an utter outsider. There would be gossip and finger-pointing, and as her belly began to swell, there would be judgment and rejection. Any wonder that in Luke's telling of things, the first thing that the newly pregnant Mary has, does is to travel far from home, to visit her older kinswoman, Elizabeth. I mean, in our world, it's not all that long ago that unmarried pregnant teenagers would have been quietly shuffled off to stay with an aunt in the next town over to see the pregnancy through. No, for all that Joseph might have pushed past his hurt to do what he thought was the right thing, it really wasn't going to change anything. But just when he had resolved to do this, Matthew writes, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid. There's that important line of angels again. Do not be afraid. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. Ah, see, it's all solved. It's all good. Neat and tidy. But think again. Think again about what this man has embraced at this point in his life. In so many of the traditional, classical paintings of the nativity scene, Mary and the infant are front and center. And there's obvious joy in her face. Joseph, Joseph is often shown slightly off to the side and sometimes even back a few paces with a slightly befuddled look on his face as if he's profoundly aware of holding a secondary place in this new family. That is, I think, a reflection of a kind of piety that exalts Mary as the mother of the Lord that's fine as far as it goes. But I also think that those paintings that push Joseph to the side risk losing sight of his character and of what we might pick up from it. He is, Matthew insists, he is a righteous man, which in his world means he's a man who has lived faithfully within the claims of the Torah. And yet, as this faithful man has been putting one foot in front of the other, framing his life within the precepts of the law, as he prepares himself for his marriage in the right way, he is hit with the most disorienting reality. The path you thought you were walking, Joseph, faithfully walking, is not the one that now lies before you. The expected and the assumed, the safe and sure orientation of your old life, gone. Don't be afraid. Instead, rise to the new and discover how to be faithful in the midst of this disorienting impossibility with which you're faced. 
That's what you're now called to do and to be, Joseph, reoriented. Now, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say that there's not one of us here who is going to face a challenge quite like Joseph's, disorienting in its fullness. But we will all, at different points along the way, find that in the very midst of our faithfulness, something will slam us back or press us on a new road or shatter our expectations. And that's not necessarily going to be something that comes from God as a gift of God or the will of God either. I mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes the Spirit does most certainly unsettle and disorient us by awakening us to some new calling, some new claim, some new way of seeing. Certainly in the story of my own vocation coming into ministry, it was pretty much the last thing on my mind when I was a student at the University of Winnipeg. And when I finally did open myself to hesitantly exploring this call, it meant letting go of the career path that I thought I wanted to follow. Now, many of you may have something similar, some piece of your own story. Many of you could probably say something like, I just never thought 10 years ago or 20 years ago I'd be doing this kind of work or studying this area or whatever, living in this place, coming to this church. Charles, when you were playing in your band, touring the country, releasing CDs and living a kind of a full-bore rock and roll lifestyle, I'm not telling tales out of class, he'll tell you the stories. If someone had come to you and said, Charles, in 10 or 12 years, you're going to be playing in church and writing music for worship. You probably would have laughed and shaken your head in disbelief. And yet, here you are. But there are other deeply disorienting things that come not from God, but from the hard realities of life in the world. David and Kalen and Jace, you guys were hit by a fire, a house fire that at the time felt like it was the end of that place, destroyed all of the familiar touchstones, made you rethink, re- reimagine, re-examine everything you thought you knew about where you lived and what you valued. In the fullness of time, there is another chapter in that house. But then? Others have children born with a developmental disability. Or... Someone you love has been diagnosed with cancer or a terminal illness or has died or simply left. Or you face yourself an illness, whether of body, mind, or spirit, and you wonder where God is in all of it. This is not the place I thought I was going to be ever. This is not the relatively safe and secure zone that I thought I knew. I've been trying to live faithfully, God. What is happening? And those are fair questions. And when those things happen, they should be shouted to the very throne of heaven, over which other words must ring, the words of that angel, do not be afraid. 
Or, as the psalmist writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I think that's what Joseph had to learn in this story that Matthew tells. I think that's what we need to learn from the character of Joseph in this story. Most particularly, learn that in the darkest and most disorienting chapters of our own lives. I will not let my fear or my sorrow or my hurt have the final word. But I will seek to live faithfully in this changed and sometimes almost impossibly challenging new reality. It's what Joseph does. He does it because Mary needed her partner. And that little baby was going to need a dad. I think those traditional paintings had it all wrong. I think Joseph didn't stand off to the side at all. I think he embraced that angelic invitation to not be afraid and stood solidly with mother and child. When we face those things that cause us fear or disorientation or pain or lostness, may we hear those words ringing over us and dare to not be afraid. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.